Welcome to Sane Split, a podcast about staying sane when relationships end. I am AJ Jakubowska, family law lawyer and mediator. Just like you, I'm human. I understand what can happen when people separate. Lots of questions swirling around like confetti. Lots of uncertainty, perhaps anger, disappointment, or even pain. Sleepless nights, shallow breathing. Will I ever be happy again? Will the kids be okay? How much is all this going to cost? All of these questions are human and you're not alone. This podcast features my thoughts about separation and my interviews with other humans who help people when their relationships end. People who assist with legal issues, who mediate, who look after hearts and minds, and even after the pocketbook. People who might help you plan your future. What you will hear is not legal advice. These are dialogues primarily about the human aspect of separation. We will try to stay away from legal lingo. It's humans talking to humans. I hope that something you hear will help you navigate your way to a sane split. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. If you are listening to this episode, that tells me you have at least some interest in family mediation, perhaps as a possible option for resolving a dispute with your ex or with the other parent, or you are considering separating, researching some options. I commend you for your interest and your taking the time to learn more about family mediation. If you have heard other episodes of this podcast, you will already know that I'm a big, big proponent of mediation as a viable, constructive, and cost-effective way of resolving child-related, support, and property issues. Any issues, in fact, which need to be addressed when a separation takes place. If you are interested in family mediation basics, I devoted a whole episode to this topic. It's called Demystifying Family Mediation, and it launched on July 31st uh, of this year. I don't want to go over the same territory today. Rather, I want to give you some tips on how you might consider preparing for a family mediation. If you have a lawyer, obviously he or she will work with you in advance of the mediation process, whether you are attending on your own with your lawyer working in the background or whether they are coming with you to the actual mediation sessions. In other words, your first source of information about your preparations for the mediation is your lawyer. Use that resource. Ask them questions. Here is a preliminary general point. My tips are predicated on the idea that your mediator determined before the start of the mediation sessions that your matter is actually suitable for mediation, that you and the other party were properly screened for power imbalance, and that there are no obstacles to both parties sitting at the negotiating table in the context of the mediation process based on the principle of self-determination, 
able to bargain fairly and effectively and being able to express their positions and interests without pressure or threat. This preliminary process is called screening for power imbalance. And in my view as a family mediator, this is an indispensable preliminary step to any mediation taking place. Simply put, before any discussions begin, the mediator must be satisfied that there is no power imbalance which makes the mediation process unfair or unsafe to either party, anyone else for that matter. Let's start with the basics. It can be stressful thinking about participating in a family mediation, particularly before the first session. Why? Partly because most people are nervous about the unknown. Here we're talking about a process which many individuals never experience in their lifetime. Yes, we have arguments, disputes, we get into fights, we bargain, uh, we sometimes even shout, we have uncomfortable conversations, and sometimes we manage to resolve disagreements. It's part of everyday life. But family mediation is a unique process. In the simplest of terms, it is a trialogue, a discussion between three people about a dispute two of them are having. The third participant acts as a moderator, a peacekeeper, if you will, if things flare up, and is also skilled at guiding the other two people through their negotiation. What makes family mediation unique is that it takes place in the context of high emotion related to a relationship, be it a marriage, a cohabitation, or perhaps if the parties never live together, to the fact that they're parents of a child. All manner of disputes can be and are addressed through mediation. Commercial disputes, for example, are often resolved that way. And yes, even here, people can feel strongly about their positions. But family mediation is unique from my perspective. It's more human, more so than any other type of mediation. People who separate are often filled with emotions, high emotions, and a very wide range of them. And to make matters even more complicated, they often come at the issues they need to resolve from very different emotional perspectives. In the first full episode of this podcast called A Journey to a Place Called Apart, I talked about an allegorical couple, A and B. A decided to end the relationship, thought about doing so for a long time before telling B, had come to terms with the decision, wanted to move forward, deal with all the issues yesterday and start a new chapter in life. B's reaction as the receiver of A's decision was completely different. Shell-shocked and feeling a complete loss of control, B was mired in sadness and even inertia for a long period of time. They were at completely different places in the continuum. 
And this unique processing of the separation must be taken into account by both family law lawyers and family mediators. And you should be cognizant of it as well. Why? Because where you are in terms of processing the separation mentally and emotionally might very well affect how you bargain and whether you're able to present your positions and explain your interests in the family mediation process. Ask yourself, am I truly ready? Do I need some supportive counseling? What do I need to do before I'm in a position to freely and voluntarily participate in the mediation process. If you feel you are ready, and assuming the mediator agrees there are no issues with power imbalance, you will have many more, many very natural questions. Here are some examples. What will it be like? Will I be asked anything? Will I have to know the answers right away? Will I have a chance to say what I think, what concerns me, what I fear? Can I speak with the mediator alone? How will my ex behave? Will there be anger? What if I cry? What if I want to stop? Again, it's natural to be apprehensive about something, in this case a process, that you're experiencing for the first time. Do some research ahead of time. There are many excellent resources on the internet, for example, about mediation in general and family mediation in particular. Many family mediators have websites which will give you some idea of their approach to the process and in many instances about their qualifications and experience. On my mediation website, metamediation.org, I answer some commonly asked questions because I want to give those who are potentially interested in this process an idea of how it might unfold. I also have a mediation blog. If you are interested, I will include the website address for the mediation website in the episode notes. My overall point is that you have the ability to inform yourself about a process that may be potentially quite impactful in your life, a process which you will use to hopefully resolve your dispute with the other party. Don't rely on anecdotal evidence. In other words, don't think that you understand the mediation process simply because your neighbor went through it and told you a little bit about it. My strong advice is that you do your own independent research, because as I always say in the family law context, no two families are alike, no two family law disputes are alike, and your neighbor's interpretation of the process and how it unfolded in her particular case may not apply to yours. So do some investigating, and I think that once you do, you will feel a little bit less apprehensive about the first session and perhaps the process in general. Of course, the other source of answers to the types of questions I identified earlier is the mediator. 
when I have my initial one-on-one discussion with each party, including for the purposes of screening for power imbalance, I am often asked these general questions. And it's a great opportunity for me to answer them in general rather in a case-specific way, because by this point, I have not yet seen the parties interact with one another. But I can answer many of the questions based on my experience. When I meet the parties for the first time, they are very often quite anxious, uncertain, and stressed. The primary reason for this, again, is the unknown. But as we get through identifying the issues in dispute and planning a bit on how we might tackle them, some of the tension eases and we get into a more comfortable flow. I can tell that some people who come to see me for the first time have already done some research because when I talk about meetings in caucus, for example, and explain what they are, I see some heads are already nodding to signal that they already have some understanding of these concepts. As you are planning for family mediation, you need to have an idea of the issues in dispute. I know that this may sound a bit strange to many who might say in response, well, surely I know that there is an issue in dispute because otherwise we wouldn't be coming to family mediation. I get that point. But I think that to make the process effective, including cost effective, you should have more than just a general idea of the issues. So let me give you an example. Let's imagine you and your ex have two children and you have a general idea that you will need to discuss and resolve all issues relating to your kids. You don't need to have the actual legal terms which describe these various areas. But you as a parent are capable of sitting yourself down and preparing some notes on what you envision the kids' lives to be post-separation. So for example, who will make decisions about them? How will those decisions be made? Where will the children live? How much time will they spend with each parent? What happens if your ex meets someone else? What happens at Christmas? One way of approaching this is to ask yourself the following question. If my ex and I were able to have a constructive discussion over coffee, for example, and each of us came to the meeting to talk about our kids with a list of important issues in hand, what would those issues be? What would be my, on my list? Your preparations for that meeting would be no different than they would be for a family mediation. So for each aspect of your life that you believe you need to address now that the separation has taken place, make a list of issues. The matrimonial home, for example. Are you prepared to sell it? Are you prepared to be bought out by your ex? Would you like to stay in the house? Can you afford to stay in the house? In fact, what I suggest is that you identify all issues which you believe should be discussed in the mediation. And then next to each issue, you explain 
why the issue you have identified and the position you are taking on it is important to you. On my blog and also on this podcast, I have talked about the difference between positions and interests. During the mediation process, a skilled mediator tries to go beyond the party's stated positions. In other words, their expressions of what they want. And the mediator tries to move into understanding their interests. The mediator tries to understand why the various positions are taken. Doing so opens up more creative options, potential solutions that may be available. More creative than might be obvious based simply on what the parties say they want. So what you may want to do is create a table. The headings in the table at the top of four vertical columns will be topics for discussion. The next column moving to the right will be my position. The next column, again, moving to the right will be why is this important to me? And then the last column on the right-hand side of the page will be order of importance. I think it's helpful if you turn your mind to the order of priority, the order of importance these various issues take for you, because it will help you zero in a little better on the bargaining chips on the table, what you are prepared to negotiate with. Now, doing all this in advance is neither mandatory nor absolutely necessary, but I think it would be helpful to you in your preparations for the mediation because this kind of exercise gives you a chance to think about these issues in a more granular way and also prepare for the bargaining process itself. I have every reason to believe that a skilled mediator who is assisting with your dispute will ask over and over again, why is that important to you? And wouldn't it be helpful if you had turned your mind to this question in advance? So for example, if you say you want to be the sole decision maker for the children, the mediator may ask you why that is important to you. Your response might be that in the past the children's father was resistant to a particular medical treatment, despite what the doctor was saying. You then explain you have no difficulty with the father's views on other issues like schooling, for example, but medical issues seem to be particularly contentious between the two of you. Your interest here is to ensure that medical decisions made for the children are made based on proper advice from the right professionals because ultimately you want to make sure that the kids are healthy and happy. In this particular example, it's of great assistance to the mediator to understand the interests behind your position. Your position is that you want to be the sole decision maker. Your interests is based on the practical example you gave concern that you have developed, that you and the father may continue to have disagreements on medical issues down the road. That opens up for the mediator a number of options on how to possibly 
assist with negotiations on this issue. So back to the tip about creating a table. Spend some time thinking about and then write down a list of topics which are important to you. What your positions on those topics are, what your interests behind them are, and also rank them in order of priority. So obviously some of these topics will be of more importance to you than others. And then you can potentially use them as compromises in the mediation process. Creating that table is great and good preparation for the mediation, but in my view, not quite enough. You need to take the next step, and that is understanding your legal rights on the issues you have listed. And whether from a legal perspective, your positions on these issues are strong, weak, or somewhere in the middle. Many people don't appreciate the importance of understanding legal rights when they come to family mediation. They see this step as no more than a waste of financial resources. Having legal advice either in advance of the first session or through the process is incredibly important for so many different reasons which I described in the episode I talked about earlier. When you are negotiating, you need to know your BATNA, B-A-T-N-A, best alternative to a negotiated agreement. If you come to mediation and take a position that is totally unsupported by the law and on which you would lose before family court, then your bargaining position on that issue is weak. You need to know that. You may decide to proceed with that position, and there are many reasons to do that. But you should at least know that, because mediation is essentially a dialogue and a bargaining exercise in which the parties hopefully reach compromise by taking a little and giving a little. You can't have an effective back and forth and a negotiation, frankly, if you don't know the legal strength or weakness of your positions. Setting aside for the moment the bargaining exercise, there is another very important reason why you need to have legal advice, and that is that you are potentially talking about arrangements which will affect you for the rest of your life and which may affect the futures of your children. The family mediator will not tell you what your legal rights are. That is not their job. In fact, they cannot do so even if they are trained as a family law lawyer because they are to be a neutral moderator of the bargaining process. And if they give legal advice to either side, that neutrality is lost. Ideally, you should talk to a lawyer before you come to the first mediation session to understand your rights before the dialogue starts. The alternative is that you start the mediation process and Without question, the mediator will ask you early on whether you plan on getting legal advice and will press you to do so. You might then consult with someone as issues are being discussed. And once, for example, there is a plan on how 
particular issues will be addressed and in what sequence. If you know in advance that financial issues will be a subject of discussion, give some thought to what documents you may want to prepare and possibly bring with you. Ask the mediator at the first session as you are mapping out the issues. What homework would be helpful to complete in between the sessions to make them as effective as possible? Here is my final thought. The more mysterious the process is to you when you first walk through the door, the more anxious you will be. So invest a bit of time in learning about family mediation in advance. Your nerves will thank you, and importantly, you will be more prepared to speak about what is important to you. Thank you for listening. I hope you will tune in again. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me through my website, separationinontario.com. Subscribing to the podcast through your favorite app will make future episodes available to you automatically. Signing off for now.